the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, the Israelites are beginning to compromise and it starts to cause problems for them. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 1 verse 28. Once again, that's Judges chapter 1 verse 28. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. So the word there, when, actually means because. So this is why they would dwell in the land, why they just remained as things were and nothing ever changed. It's because Israel was strong and they made them their forced labor. That's what the word put to the tribute means. They were strong. That's an interesting phrase. The word strong there means to have the ability to accomplish what you intend to do. So it's not that they couldn't defeat them. They just didn't feel like it. It was easier to just make a treaty with them where they became cheap labor for them. So instead of obeying the Lord, which they were strengthened enough by God to do, they make a treaty. Now, We have now slipped from compromise into direct disobedience. Turn to Exodus chapter 23 with me. Exodus 23. This chapter is really important because there's got a couple factors here that we're going to run into when we get to the end of our study today. So as we read through it, keep it in mind. Exodus 23 verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. That's pretty cool. Hey, I'm going to send my angel before you, and and he's going to give you victory wherever you go. He's going to go before you in the place that I've prepared for you, the promised land. So there is a specific angel that's assigned to the nation of Israel in regards to their, their campaign. Beware of him and obey his voice. When did we ever see an angel show up in regards to the conquest of Israel? Angel of the Lord when they were going to fight Jericho, right? Remember, Joshua goes out and he wants to get a good view of the city. And he's there on the outs. He's there inside the very outlying areas of the wall of the city. And he notices this fully equipped armed soldier with his sword out. And Joshua immediately is like, are you for us or for our enemies? Because I can't let you get back into that city if you're for our enemies. And I love what what the Lord says. says, neither. (laughs) That's not the point here, Joshua. The point is you're on holy ground. I'm in charge of the army. And I'm the one who fights your battles. You need to do what I say. And Joshua complies. He falls down on his face and he worships. So that's a pretty unique situation here that the Lord 
you know, remember, remember the whole situation where God promises this, and then the Lord says to Moses after the whole golden calf thing, I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to send an angel before you, and but my presence won't go with you. And then that time Moses complains. I don't want an angel. I want you. Wait a second. I thought you were okay with the angel before. Yeah, because it's not just any angel. It's the Lord himself. We see in the scriptures this phrase, the angel of the Lord, a few times. It's not always the Lord, but very often it is. And so this is clearly when it talks about beware of him, obey him, don't provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Clearly, this is referring to the Lord himself. Now, just keep all that in mind. Now, if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, verse 22, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. For my angels shall go before you and will bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Okay, so you obey my voice, his voice, follow, follow your captain, it'll be victory all the way through. Verse 24, so what are his orders? You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do after their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their images. And you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall bless your bread and your water and I'll make sick, take sickness away from the midst of you. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in your land. The number of your days I will fulfill and I will send my fear before you and will destroy all the people to whom you shall come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs unto you. And I will send hornets before you. Who did that? The angel. We already saw that in, in Joshua. We shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite and the Hittites from before you. Now here the Lord says, but... I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against you. But by little and little, I will drive them out from before you until you be increased and you inherit, the idea is inherit fully the land. And I will set your bounds. Here it is, the full borders of the land God promised to them. From the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, the Mediterranean, and from the desert unto the river, which refers to the Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out from before you. So all the good things God says I will do and this is what you need to make sure you don't do. Make sure what you do need to do and don't do. Verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto you. Now, this is what always happens when I compromise. Compromise, no matter how little, eventually leads to outright disobedience and God's discipline. So here we see in Judges that the small compromises eventually lead to a direct disobedience of what God said in Exodus 23. Verse 29, back in Judges chapter 1. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell in Gezer among them in exact disobedience to what God said in Exodus 23. Gezer is 18 miles west of Jerusalem, and sadly it did not come under Israeli control ever because of Israel's faithfulness to God. It only came under Israeli control when Pharaoh gave it as a gift to Solomon when he became king. Now, again, no excuse is given for why. Like Benjamin, Ephraim just did nothing about them, allowing them to live in their midst, worshiping their pagan gods. And listen, doing nothing, when God tells you to do something, will come back to bite you. 
It just will. It will come back to bite you. See, God tells us to do that something so we can avoid that future danger. So let's not make the mistake that they made. Let's listen to our king. Now, one of the biggest dangers that we can face as Christians is what I would call unbiblical contentment. Unbiblical contentment. Listen, being content with God, with what God gives you, that's a sign of maturity, right? Like being content with what God gives you. You know, it says that we should do that. And that's a sign of maturity. That's a good thing, okay? Being content with Christ's work on the cross is a proper understanding of grace, right? But being content with my spiritual growth is spiritual laziness. And so this is what happened. They got to a place and they're not opposed to God. They're not all going, we hate God. We're going to make a league with the Canaanites. No, they just kind of grew content with their spiritual condition. They thought, well, we're not worshiping idols. We're not living in sin. We're good. So why do we need to go and put our, you know, our warriors at risk and our lives at risk to go fight these walled cities again? We're tired of fighting. We want to enjoy the fruit of our labor. We've worked hard for this rest. And so they grew spiritual lazy. So spiritually lazy, being content with my spiritual growth, that's not good. That's spiritual laziness. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 with me. I love this because Peter's writing when, right before he's about to die. I mean, so this is a guy who's, you know, got to the end of his life, pretty much finished his race. And, and he's writing to people who are being persecuted, who are, many of them are finishing their race. But he says to them, Simon Peter, verse 1, chapter 1, 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God. Not through their own righteousness, but through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. They weren't going to get any peace from their circumstances because it was rough. But he says, grace and peace be not just added to you, but multiplied to you through a underst- better understanding of God and a better understanding of Jesus and all he did for us. Verse 3, and how can they do this? According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue. And what a cool opening to his letter. You can have everything that God has for you. You can experience all that God has for you. Even if you're going through the roughest of circumstances, you know, persecution, difficulties, hardship, you can have everything you need to have grace and peace and the power of God working in your life as you just know him better every day, right? As you understand his word better every day. Because in there, verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And through those things, through understanding those promises better is what he's saying. That by these things, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Listen, we go through hardship, we go through trials, and our flesh is not happy, right? It is grumpy. And it is wanting things left and right. Like right now, there are certain foods I cannot eat. If I eat, it will wreck me. I cannot tell you how much my flesh craves those things right now. It's like a slice of pizza I could give or take whatever on a normal day. And I see my wife baking those homemade pizzas for the kids. And I'm just like, one slice won't kill me, will it? Because the flesh is just craving it. 
It wants all sorts of things to all of a sudden to comfort itself and to say, it's okay, it's okay, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be better. But that's never going to satisfy. It's never going to be the answer, right? Ice cream, maybe, but not pizza. <laughs> we went to Epcot the other night, and we like to go do some of the special food, you know, at the, the festival they have. And, and uh, we don't partake of the other half of the festival, of course. But they've got some really neat, you know, uh, food items there and stuff. And uh, I got some ice cream. It's first, like, sugar I've had in six months. It was great. But it doesn't fix my problems. On the other hand, I have great and precious promises. And through those, I can be a partaker of the divine nature and have joy and peace and grace and all the things I need to smile, even in the face of challenges or hard times or persecution or whatever it is you might be going through. Now, that's where it begins. (laughs) Knowing Jesus. Verse 5. And beside all this, beside all this, I'm still working on that. This is what Peter says. Says to a people who many of them are at the latter stages of their race. He says, beside all this, giving all diligence, work really hard, make, make it important to you, be earnest in your effort to add to that faith that comes through the word of God, virtue. And then to that virtue, knowledge, understanding. And to that understanding, self-control to self-control, endurance, and to endurance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. I don't know where you're at on that whole track, but I know I've got a lot to add. So I need to continue giving all diligence, right? You know, to continue growing, to not become spiritually lazy. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you, they shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, this is where I'm at right now. Like, I don't want to be barren and unfruitful because something hard just crops up in my life. And, and, and the problem is, is sometimes that happens. And I look and there's, there's a bankruptcy in an area of my life. There's an area where I'm not where I need to be yet. And so I can never become spiritually lazy and go, well, I read my Bible every day and I pray and, you know, I'm a decent dad and I'm okay husband. And I'm, you know, I, I teach the truth. So I'm a good, decent pastor, you know, not the best, whatever. Like I can never, I can never do that. I can never look at, at any kind of legacy that might be there. And, and at some point go, you know, I've, I've been fighting, you know, I've been fighting the good fight for, you know, years, man. You know, I think, I think I deserve a little bit of a break. We can never get to that place. Because he that lacks these things is blind, cannot see afar off. And he's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Like there, there's a, a, a sense where the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, they forgot the golden calf. Like they, they, they forgot the whining in the wilderness. They forgot the whole, like the whole, um, Sex parties with the prophets of, of Baal and the prophetesses way back on the other side of Jordan, just not even 20 plus years ago. There's a sense where they forgot what they'd been saved from and who they were on their own without Christ. Wherefore, the rather, I don't want you to do that. This is what I want you to do, brothers. 
Give diligence. There he says it again. Give an earnest effort to make your calling and election sure because if you do those things, you will never, it says, fall. But the idea means to stumble, to, to like really stumble and hit your face on the, on the concrete, you know? And when all these health issues started cropping up in my life, you know, I, I did some face plants and, and, and didn't handle some of those situations really well. And it was embarrassing. And it was, to me personally, and, and then very deeply convicting. Because I remember there was a couple of times I told the Lord through tears saying, God, I thought I had this whole thing kind of figured out already. And clearly, I wasn't ready for this. And so, you know, this is where, you know, no matter how much you feel like, well, I've learned a lot or I've grown a lot, praise the Lord, right? That's awesome. But give all diligence to make your calling election sure so you don't face plant, you know? For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what this means? Basically what Peter's saying is, you want to enter heaven in style? Do this. Do this. You want to finish well? Then give diligence. Don't ever become spiritually lazy. Then you will, you know? This is how we enter heaven well. So let's enter heaven well, amen? You know, let's finish well. Unfortunately, most of the tribes of Israel do not finish well, won't continue well, and many of them, they don't even make good starts. So we go to Judges chapter 1 again, and we look at verse 30 as we get to the tribe of Zebulun, and then after that, the tribe of Asher. So Judges 1, 30. Neither, verse 30, did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributary. So again, not only did Manasseh make a deal, a treaty with these five cities, but Zebulun made a deal where their enemies became forced labor too. Then verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab, nor Akzib, nor of Helba, nor of Aphek. I mean, we got a long list here, nor of Rehob. But now here's a little bit of a different twist here. The Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. So Zebulun, they do what Manasseh did. They make a a, a treaty where their enemies become cheap labor, but Asher full-blown embraces them and and intermingles with the enemy. The word there, dwell among, means to live in the midst. Now, this is the first time since Israel crossed the river where we see Israelites happily coexisting side by side in in the land with unrepentant idolaters. And again, why did they do this? Spiritual laziness and self-deception. For they did not drive them out. There's a little bit something more definitive there. They did not. They simply chose to disobey the Lord. They didn't see the need to obey the Lord here. They thought they had a better way and it was to dwell among them. See, disobedience always stems from not really believing what God says. I'm sure they looked and they said, well, these guys aren't so bad. You know, we kind of like having them as neighbors. We're not going to drive them out. And, and obviously God doesn't want you to drive out your neighbors. That's not the correlation I'm making here. I want you to love your neighbor. But are you, 
metaphorically doing that in a sense? You know, is there something in your life that God's saying to get rid of? And you're going, I don't, I don't see the need. Why? Like, I mean, this is working. It's, it's, we happily coexist. I, I, ha, I still have my Christian life and I coexist with this and everything's fine. Everything may be fine now, but it won't stay that way. Do you know who eventually came from this region of Zidon and Tyre? Slightly insignificant woman named Jezebel. And due to not just the fact that they allowed them to stay there, but the intermingling and friendship, due to that friendship, she ends up becoming the queen and brings full-blown Baal worship into the north. So much so that God states that there were less than 10,000 believers in Israel during that time because of her influence. I would say that that was not a good decision, being friends with them, even though everything looked fine right then and there. See, one of my biggest deceptions is thinking I have compromise under control. Never have it under control. You're never the one in control of that scenario. It's impossible. So don't make that mistake. Verse 33. Look at the tribe of Naphtali. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites. The same thing, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became tributaries unto them. So Naphtali makes the same mistake as Asher with a, a couple cities. And, and then, you know, they also make the same mistake of Zebulun with those same cities that they, you know, make them forced labor. And again, what does this show me? That Naphtali decided they knew better, with, better than God about how to deal with each of these cities. You know, people often say, well, you know, I don't think right and wrong are as clear as the Bible makes it out to be. Actually, they are. They are. It's really clear. See, the problem doesn't lie in the clarity of Scripture, but in the fact that we don't have all knowledge. That's where the problem lies. It's not that Scripture isn't clear. The problem is we don't have all knowledge. And this makes us very apt to miss important things when we try to deduce if something is dangerous or whether it's safe, if we try to deduce if something is right or something is wrong. So we take our limited knowledge and we put all that together and we go, well, I mean, they look like nice neighbors. Why would we drive them out? You know, or whatever the compromise might be. And we decide to go, well, God, I think you're wrong. I don't think that you're as clear about this as you seem to be. The reality is God's very clear. <laughs> So while someone who follows another God or embraces a wicked behavior may seem like a nice, harmless person to us, there is an arrogance when we make that deduction that assesses them as okay, even though God says they aren't. Do you understand what I'm saying there? There's an arrogance to us when we do that. In fact, that mentality betrays something very important about our, our assessment. Because the Bible declares that none are good, not one. So my problem isn't, my problem isn't that I think, well, I disagree with the Bible. I do think all roads lead to heaven. Or I disagree with the Bible. I think homosexuality is okay. My problem is, is that I think people are basically good. And that because I'm basically good, I have the ability to identify when others are too. Do you see the flaw in the argument? I'm not basically good. So I don't have the capability to look around and go, oh, they're good. And they're good too. Everybody's good. Everybody gets a good tag, you know? I don't have the ability to do that because I'm not good. 
So I don't have the ability to properly assess what's good. It's why I need a divine being who knows everything to tell me what's good. My job is not to identify people as good or bad. That's not even my job as a Christian. They're good. They're bad. You know, That's not my job. My job is to preach the gospel to every creature because nobody's good. To give them God's message of truth and grace because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are loved by a gracious God who sent his son to die for us. That's my job. Not to look and go, well, I think, I think there are good homosexuals. Maybe homosexuality is not really wrong. No. There are no good homosexuals because there's no good anybody. You know, and, and that's what I hear the argument, but I've worked, I've worked with them. I think they're okay. And I've seen their marriage and I think, I think they treat each other well. That may all be true, but it's not up to you to determine who's good because no one's good. God had already said who's good. Nobody. So you can't look at them and go, well, I think the rest of their life looks good. So surely this can't be bad. It's bad. Just like my sin's bad. Just like all sin is bad. So just like me, I need a savior. They need a savior. Just like I need to repent. Somebody who's doing something wrong needs to repent. So I ask you, do you agree with God's assessment of humanity? Or do you agree with your assessment of humanity? Are you more like Naphtali? This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.